Welcome to the Eastridge Church East Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. Man, Jesus is good with emojis. I don't know if he would use emojis in real life. I don't know, but he's good with them. Um, Hey, if you guys have been here with us the last few weeks, um, thank you so much for kind of walking through this series with us. If you have not been here, that's okay. What we've been doing in this witness series, we've been walking through the book of Acts. And the whole series is kind of predicated on Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you, Jesus says, you, Christians, you, my disciples, will be my what? witnesses to in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? That's what he tells his followers from the very beginning. This is what the church is going to be. And so we've been walking through this book that we call Acts. Um, it's the Acts of the Apostles is another title for that book. That's why it's called Acts. It's just the things that the earliest church did and how it kind of got its start, how it came to be. And what's so cool as we read through Acts is that we, the church, guys, we are the fruit of this book, right? We are now 2,000 years later. We are the result of the seeds that were planted in these pages, right? And we get to kind of see this is, this is our lineage. This is our history. This is our family tree right here. Um, and, and we've been really up until today, we've gone through the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. We've seen, like I said, the very beginnings of it where Peter preaches at Pentecost and 3,000 come to be saved that day. And then the church kind of begins and, and a couple things are happening here and there as far as some like struggles and some persecutions and things like that. But we saw last week as we kind of ended up last week, the very first Christian martyr. His name was Stephen. It was a man who it just said was full of the Holy Spirit and he was going around. He was, you know, doing things that the, the Christians were doing. He was preaching about Jesus. He was being a witness. And the, uh, the, the leaders of the Jews, they kind of got, they, they got him and they told him to stop. And then he preached a sermon to them and then they got real mad and they stoned him to death and they killed him. And that's, that's where we kind of ended off last week. So what, what we want to do today is this, because here's what happens. After Stephen is killed, that just kind of sets a fire in Jerusalem amongst the Jews who are there who hate Christianity. And they begin very vehemently to persecute the Christians who are in this city. It began with Stephen and then it spreads very quickly. And actually at the very beginning of chapter eight, where we're starting today, the very first verse says this, Saul was there giving approval to his death. Now we're going to see Saul again in a couple of chapters as uh, he, he begins to go by his Greek name, Paul, after that. But Saul was the head of the Pharisees, a guy who was uh, kind of in charge of going out and persecuting the, the Christians in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas. So what we're going to look at today is this. We're going to look at how how this persecution kind of breaks out, but in the midst of that, we're going to see the church begin to spread, just like Jesus commanded that his disciples would do. That they would not just preach of the gospel in Jerusalem, but that they would go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we're going to talk today, just to be real honest, we're going to talk about persecution. Because persecution has been a reality since the days that the church began. And in fact, Jesus promised this in John 15, 20. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. This was a promise to his disciples. 
Paul actually writes later in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life, and that hopefully is all of us in this room, that you desire to live a godly life. And Paul says, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Guarantee of scripture. And so persecution has been for the last 2000 years, a reality for the church that we cannot ignore. In the first through third centuries, it was Roman persecution. From, from the Emperor Nero to Diocletian. We see this in, in the Colosseum with gladiators and Christians being thrown to the gladiators. We see this in the Circus Maximus with Christians being thrown to wild animals in the first and second and third centuries. We see Christians even being tarred and burned on stakes to light the emperor's parties for fun. This is what happened to our earliest spiritual ancestors just because they believed in Jesus and preached his name and would not stop. In the fourth through sixth centuries, it continued with barbarian persecutions as, as Christians began to spread around Europe and that area. Uh, everywhere that they went, raids of barbarians would attack them and, and, and loot and pillage them and false teachings became very prevalent. So the church was being attacked from without and from within. And then we see the seventh through 11th centuries as the rise of Islam comes. Right? And everywhere, again, everywhere that the Christians went, as, as Islam began to expand as well, they started to invade towns and, and cities and areas where they knew Christians were. And there was brutality across the board, especially of Christian women and children, because they were trying their very best to snuff out the gospel. And yet they, they couldn't do it, as we're going to see in the medieval age, it, it continued with Islamic persecution. There even became the, the enslavement of Christians around Europe and even in Africa and other places. If you were a Christian, you were often captured, you were enslaved. And this kind of prompted their reactionary crusades in, in the 7th through really the like 15th centuries and all of that. Other threats from the Vikings and Teutonic tribes up in Northern Europe. And in the 16th and 17th centuries, wars raged across Europe. Decade after decade after decade, there was wars everywhere. So as the Christians were trying to take the gospel, everywhere that they went, there would be wars and they were dying and they would still, with threat on their life, go into these areas where they knew there was probably a very good chance that their lives would end, even if they just stepped into these territories to take the gospel of Jesus. Fox's Book of Martyrs, which uh, Charles Spurgeon said, after the Bible, every Christian should read this book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, there's a quote in there that says that Christians were bound at, at this time to relinquish not only goods and children, but life itself for the glory of Jesus. This is what was going on. In the 18th and 19th centuries, this was the age of discovery, and this was also the age when Christians began to really explode around the globe. This is, we're coming to the Americas more, right? We're going to North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, everywhere that we can go, and, and, and travel is much more accessible, and we're getting to all these areas, but everywhere that we go, everywhere that we take the gospel, every new tribe and new people group that we find, there is persecution. They hate us. And they hate the gospel, at least at first, but also we see so many times that the gospel advances on new ground and people believe and the gospel continues to spread. And then in the 20th and the 21st centuries, the 1900s up until modern day, we would think, right, that persecution is really a thing of the past, that that was, that was a barbaric age, right, before modern day, and this, these kinds of things don't happen. And yet what we find is in the last 100 years, more Christians have been killed for their faith than the 1900 years combined before that. 
to this day, right now, there are Christians, I promise you, right now, Christians around the world gathered in basements and in forests and in caves hiding so that they could just maybe light a match and read a page of scripture together and memorize it before they are maybe arrested, maybe kicked out of their villages, kicked out of their families, or killed for their faith. And I know these are not things that we love to talk about, but this is the truth and the reality for Christians around the world for the last 2,000 years. And it began here. So as we look through the book of Acts, these, these five chapters, I'm going to breeze right through these really quickly, okay? This is not going to be a three-hour sermon. Um, I'm going to breeze through them really fast just to kind of give us a quick overview. Um, but what we're going to see and what I want you to take away from this is this, that we need to be reminded that God is sovereign over these sufferings. God is sovereign over this persecution for the advancement of the gospel, for the salvation of all people, for his glory, this is why this is happening. Again, he told them, go. You're going to go and you're going to do this in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And when he said Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, right, Judea was kind of the, the immediate area right around Jerusalem, right? This would be like him saying that in Atlanta and North Georgia, right? But then he also said Samaria, which is more like South Georgia. And we're all like, we ain't going to South Georgia, right? Like nobody goes to the I-16. Don't, don't go there, right? Like that, but it's what he's saying. He's like, you're going to go Atlanta and you're going to go North Georgia, but you're also going South Georgia. You're going to go Jerusalem and Judea, but you're going to Samaria too. And then to the ends of the earth. You're going to go everywhere. And at this point in Acts, the gospel's really in Jerusalem. So what happens to spread it through? Here's what happens. Persecution happens. Persecution is actually what God uses to get the Christians out of Jerusalem and to move the gospel around the world. Here's what it says, Acts 8, 2. Uh, starting in verse one, actually, he says, as Saul is, is giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. It's like God has a plan, right? All of them are scattered. Verse two, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Verse four, those who had been scattered, listen, preached the word wherever they went. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went, right? So we see on the surface, this looks like a terrible tragedy for the church, that persecution has begun and men and women are being dragged off to prison and even killed for their faith. And yet we see the providence, the hand of God in this, do we not, right? that everywhere they're going, what are they doing? Exactly what Jesus told them to do. You go be my witnesses, you go make disciples to the end of the earth. And so they begin to do that. So uh, kind of a, a quick overview here. Here's Acts chapter eight, verses five through 25. We see this guy named Philip. Now this is Philip the evangelist. This is not Philip the apostle, and that matters. I'm gonna tell you why in a second. He, he's not an apostle. This is a guy named Philip the evangelist. He goes into Samaria and he begins to preach the gospel. Right? And there's actually a guy there, his name is Simon the Sorcerer. And this guy's like a magician of some kind. Apparently he could do pretty amazing things, uh, like really like supernatural things. And people were amazed with him. They actually thought he was God. And so Philip the Evangelist goes in and begins to preach the gospel in this area where, where the Simon the Sorcerer is living in Samaria. And people begin to believe. It says even Simon the Sorcerer believes in Jesus and starts to follow Philip around. He's amazed at the work that Philip is doing. 
And so after Peter and John, who they're back in Jerusalem, right? Said everybody scattered except the apostles. The apostles are in Jerusalem still. They hear that some of the Samaritans have now believed. Now, this is important because Peter and John need to be there to confirm that the gospel has in fact come to the Samaritans. Jesus told Peter, Peter, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. That's Matthew 16, if you want to go look that up. uh, Jesus told Peter this, Peter, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You all know this passage? So what that means is Peter had to be present when the gospel spread to new territory. And this is what we see in the book of Acts, right? He was there. He was the one who preached in Acts 2 when the gospel came to the Jews, right? And now we're going to see him being present when the gospel and the Holy Spirit comes to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. And what it says in Acts chapter 8 is that they believe in Jesus, but they didn't yet receive the Holy Spirit until Peter and John show up. Now, I know that's a little confusing. Don't freak out. Listen, here's the truth. If you're a Christian today, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's absolutely true of every Christian. But this was a moment in history where the gospel hadn't yet come to new territory, right? And the apostles were still there. And because Peter was given the keys to the kingdom, when he showed up and then they prayed for these new believers, then the Holy Spirit came on them. So now all the Samaritans everywhere, Peter and John don't have to show up for them, right? Because it's already come to the Samaritans. So now every Samaritan everywhere can receive the gospel and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's pretty cool, right? So that actually happens. Phil, uh, we actually read uh, Simon the Sorcerer. He gets kind of excited about this new Holy Spirit thing. And he's like, ooh, I want that too so I can keep doing my miracles and people keep loving me or whatever. And Peter and John kind of call him out. So don't be like that guy. Uh, Acts 8, 26 through 40, Philip meets this Ethiopian eunuch, Philip the evangelist. He, he's traveling on the road. He sees this guy riding in a, like, a, like a carriage or whatever, this Ethiopian guy who's a, the, a servant of the queen in Ethiopia. Philip runs up beside the, the carriage and, and like kind of the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he begins to share the gospel with him. The guy's already reading the scroll of Isaiah. I love how, if you read through the book of Acts, you see how God is going before them every time, right? God is just going, he's setting this up. This is so simple. And Philip walks up, he starts talking to this guy. This guy's like, I'm reading Isaiah. I don't know what this means. Who's this about? And so Philip starts to tell him, that's about Jesus. Isaiah's talking about Jesus, this guy who just died in Jerusalem and who was raised back to life. The Ethiopian eunuch believes he's baptized. And then Philip like disappears, right? He's just gone, right? If you read this story, it's incredible. He's just gone. But the Ethiopian eunuch, where's he going to go back to with the gospel? Ethiopia. Now Africa is going to receive the gospel of Jesus, Right? This is good news. But again, this guy was not, this guy was actually a Jewish proselyte. So he was considered technically a Jew. So the gospel has now come, we know, to the Jews, but also to the Samaritans. Now, we get to Acts chapter 9. Here's what happens in Acts 9, sweeping overview. The, the Saul, the guy Saul, who's persecuting the church, he becomes a Christian. He meets Jesus, really like literally sees him, literally hears him, becomes now an apostle of Jesus, not only a Christian, but a new apostle, the 13th apostle. We know that he, he goes on to write most of the books of the New Testament. He goes on to be the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. I love the fact that God is not only sovereign over the persecution, but the persecutor in this story, right? Like the guy who is killing the church. The book of Acts describes him as the rapist of the church becomes the greatest Christian missionary this world has ever seen, right? This is our God. And so, and so Paul just loves, and by the way, his name's Saul. His name was always Saul and it was always Paul. Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Greek name. He begins to just go by his Greek name because now he's gonna go to the Greeks, the Gentiles only, right? And preach the gospel. Jesus actually tells him, by the way, 
Um, I know sometimes we want to be like the apostles, like we wish we had all the things that they had. We wish we had seen Jesus the way they saw Jesus. We wish we had all the advantages that they had in going and sharing the gospel. But here's what Jesus says to Paul. He says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. Do you really want to be like that guy? You might. And he did experience great things. And he saw the ministry of Jesus spread throughout the world. But it came with cost. That's what it means to follow Jesus and be sold out to him. So Paul, Saul, now Paul, is going to go to the Gentile people through the rest of the book of Acts. Acts is really mainly two figures, other than Jesus, obviously. We have Peter, and then we have Paul. But to get to Paul on his missionary journeys, Luke, as he's writing this in the book of Acts, he's kind of taking us through this to kind of show us how this is happening. Okay, so Saul was persecuting the church, and now he's become a Christian himself, but persecution is still happening, right? And so Peter, in in Acts chapter 10, we're going to see Peter take the gospel now, not just to the Jews, not just to the Samaritans, but to the third group that we needed to go to, the Gentiles. And guys, by the way, this is good news because you and I, Gentiles, okay? Anybody Jewish descent in here? Honestly, like anybody? Okay, everybody's Gentile. Okay, yeah, so all of us, right? This Acts 10 is our chapter, okay? Because if this doesn't happen, we don't get the gospel. So Peter has a vision. And before he had a vision, there's actually a guy named Cornelius. He's a Greek. He's a Roman centurion, actually. And he has a vision from God that says to go and send for this guy named Peter. And so he does. And as he's doing that, Peter has a vision and he sees this sheet come down from heaven. This is kind of cool. Like he's up on his, his roof praying and he sees this sheet come down from heaven. And on the sheet are animals, all kinds of animals. Some of them are clean animals by Jewish standards, things they can eat. And some of them are unclean animals by Jewish standards, things they can't eat, like a, like a pig, like bacon. So sad they couldn't eat bacon, but they couldn't, right? So he sees the sheet come down. He, he's thinking about this and he hears the voice of Jesus say, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And he's very confused. He says, Jesus, I would never, I would never kill and eat a pig because he's never had bacon, right? But he's like, I would never do that. And again, Jesus says the same thing to him twice. He says it to him three times. And finally, Peter understands what Jesus says at the end of it is, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And what Jesus is really saying to him is, you consider some people clean and some people unclean. Jews are clean to, to Peter in his mind because this is the way he's been raised. And and Gentiles are unclean, the Greeks. But God is saying to him, no, 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 no. We're all clean here. And so immediately after that vision, he goes downstairs and these guys show up at his house and they ask for Peter. Now, here's what's cool about that. They ask for Peter. They ask for Simon, who is called Peter. His name was Simon. That was his Jewish name. We got Saul, Paul. His name was Simon. That was his Jewish name. But they asked for Simon called Peter. Peter was the name given to him by Jesus. It means in Greek, rock. Because Jesus told him in Greek, I'm going to build my church on this rock, right? And so Peter is reminded, even in the words of these guys, hey, the the guy named Peter, the guy named Rock, who's supposed to take the gospel to the whole world, build the church, the Greeks are supposed to come and know Jesus. Is he here? Is that Peter here? And Peter says, yeah, I'm here. So he goes to Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. He goes to Cornelius. He meets him. He walks into his house, which is a no-no for Jews, walks into a Greek's house, shares the gospel with him. Cornelius believes, his whole family believes. They receive the Holy Spirit. Now the gospel has come to everyone. Because the gospel's for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. For all time. 
And because of the persecution that started at first, these Christians were spread out and they had to go to new places. And the gospel, therefore, is spread out and it goes to new places. In Acts chapter 11, we just see Peter explain his actions. The, the Jews get kind of mad about what just happened. You can't let Greeks into the kingdom. They can't receive the Holy Spirit. They can't. And Peter's like, no, no, no. Listen, this is what happened. I had this vision from Jesus. He showed me this. I went. They received the Spirit just like, again, Peter was there when the Jews received it. Peter was there when the Samaritans received it. Peter was there when the Greeks received it, the Gentiles. And now the gospel is free to go to everyone all the time. And that includes... Us. So in Acts chapter 11, he explains that. Acts chapter 12 is kind of a cool one. This is the last chapter where we really see Peter prevalent. Um, Peter goes to prison. And while that's happening, oh, by the way, I wanted to read this. Uh, uh, Acts 11, uh, verse 21. It says, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That is a verse that is just, again, Luke's attempt to remind us as this persecution is happening, as things are going on, the gospel just keeps going. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people, it says, actually, some of the Jews, after they heard Peter's report, they're like, oh, we should also go to the Gentiles. And so they do, right? And, and the Lord's hand is with them and people keep believing. So in Acts chapter 12, Peter gets arrested. He gets thrown into prison for, for preaching the gospel as he continued to do. Herod got uh, really mad and he starts getting an even worse persecution against all the Christians. And so he throws Peter into prison. It says the church is praying for Peter, which is awesome, by the way, because if you really think about it, the persecution that comes on the church, what does it cause the church to do? It causes the church to depend more on God, to pray more. And it just says the church is gathered together and they're praying. Like Peter filled out a connect card. I'm going to prison. Pray for me. Right. And so they're there and they're just praying for him. Right. Connect card plug. Um, while he's in prison, an angel shows up and miraculously frees him. Right. He gets out of prison. Long story short, he goes to the, the house where the people are praying. They're kind of freaking out. They're like, oh, Peter's here. And then right after that, it says that Paul and his companions at the end of chapter 12, Paul and his companions head out to begin their mission trips. Kind of a foreshadow of the rest of the book of Acts. Now the gospel is gonna go. It's gonna go everywhere as Paul and his companions take it to the ends of the earth. Stephen had been killed. The apostle James had been killed, which was actually the apostle John's brother, one of Peter's best friends. The guys were being killed in front of the church and you can imagine Stephen being killed would be like if, if literally this week you heard that one of us in this room was on the square preaching and the authorities drove up and shot him in the head. And the church hears about, what would we be thinking in this moment? What would we be going through? How would we be praying? How would we be desperate? to see God continue to move and the gospel continue to move? And how would we be asking him for boldness? And this is what's going on is the church begins to be persecuted, but it begins to, to spread around the world just as Jesus says it was. Now, I know all that was super fast overview of all of those chapters, but I just want to kind of end it with this, a, a few thoughts. I said a few times, the gospel is for everyone and because it is. And that's exactly the point of all of this, that the gospel is for everyone. Just as Jesus uh, will, will always grow our faith, mainly through suffering, Peter says this, 1 Peter 1, 7, that our faith will grow mainly through suffering. The church will grow mainly through persecution. This is how it has happened for 2000. I don't make that up. This is church history. It has always been this way. 
And again, I know like in 21st century American Christianity, we have this mindset that this could never come for us. And this could never happen to us. It has happened to every group of Christians everywhere in the world for 2,000 years. Do you think we are exempt? I don't. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters. Do not be surprised for what the next 10 years, 15, 20, 30 years may hold for us. I don't know, but I think we've seen the first fruits of it. It's at least no longer convenient. It used to be convenient to be a Christian in this country. It used to be convenient. You were looked at with respect. It's not anymore. And I think maybe it will continue to get worse. But here's what I want you to know. Persecution is the vehicle which God uses to mobilize his church to the ends of the earth. It's like sometimes we're just sitting down in a chair and we're comfy, right? We're just safe, we're comfortable, we've got our lives the way that we want them, and persecution is just simply Jesus kicking the chair out from under us, going, okay, listen, I said go. Do you realize there are three and a half billion people in this world who have not heard the gospel? Three and a half billion unreached people in this world. And so he's saying, go, we think our work is done. Jesus said, I'm not coming back until the whole world has had a chance to hear the gospel. He said that. Three and a half billion people. It's our job to go to them and to share it with them. And again, Jesus said, if they did this to me, they will do it to you. So here's just a, a couple thoughts. Number one, we can trust with this. We can trust the sovereignty of God in our sufferings, in our persecution. If and when it comes, we can trust the sovereignty of God. This is not a message to make you afraid. This is a message to make you aware and a message to put you on your knees in prayer and in trust of the God who is in control of these things. Who is doing these things? Is Satan doing these things? Is man doing these things? Well, maybe. I mean, they have plans for sure. But l l listen to the way, listen to the way, I just want you to hear this. Listen to the way the apostle Paul describes his persecution, his sufferings, as he sits in prison in, in, uh, in Rome, as he writes to the Philippians. He says this, this is Philippians 1, 12. It's on the screen. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he's talking about being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, listen, because of my chains, because of the persecution that has happened to me, listen, here's the result. The brothers have been more encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Because Paul has been persecuted and the disciples and the apostles were persecuted more and more were becoming bold and courageous in their faith to go and do exactly what Jesus had called them to do. Sometimes the church just gets comfortable and lazy. And Paul's saying, look, this is what he's doing for us, for us. Persecution is being done for us, to send us. It's where our lives are no longer about us. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. So if we pray for revival in the church, and I hope that we are, we must, and, and awakening around the world, if we're praying for people to come to Jesus, we must expect to be uncomfortable. Listen, persecutions, y'all, church, persecutions are not our worst enemy. The government is not your worst enemy. 
There are so many people think that it's the government that's going to bankrupt and shipwreck the church. Listen, the government and whatever they're going to do doesn't hold a candle to comfort. Comfort is what will shipwreck Christianity. It's not Biden and his administration or any other administration. It's travel ball and retirement and cruises. That, I'm not saying those things are evil. I'm not saying don't ever do those things. I'm saying those things, if we live for them in our comfortable chairs, those things will shipwreck the gospel moving forward in this world. Persecution only accomplishes what Jesus intends it to accomplish every time. And the last thing is this, I want you to prayerfully consider whether or not you, I, we are being obedient to the great commission of Jesus to go and to share the gospel. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you. And you have a family at East Ridge Church.